Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. What an important topic today. Listen up. The buzz, RevRec. Finally, finally, those of you in a cloud or a fog somewhere, don't know what it is, that's revenue recognition. Let's get started. Revenue, you know what it is. It's the single most important item on your company's financial statement. Well, there's big news in this area now that the IASB and the FASB have announced their converged revenue accounting standards. It's time for you, you know who I'm talking to, you, your company, to prepare for the new requirements. Guess what? It's not a matter of whether these new requirements will impact you as well as organizations all across the world and across industries everywhere. It's a matter of how much they will impact you. So the big question on the table today is what can you do to prepare? And a little side note, and you can mentally answer, you don't have to tell me, have you read the whole 700 pages about the new rules yet? OMG. Well, I've assembled a panel. We have assembled a great panel of experts to talk about it and tell you hopefully everything you need to know about how to get started and encourage you that this is doable. I I hope we have an optimistic outcome to this conversation. Let me introduce our first panelist. It's David Ferguson. That's F-U-R-G-A-S-O-N. That's a new spelling for me. He's a director in Deloitte Consulting's SAP Package Technology Practice and a leader of Deloitte's Finance Transformation Programs. And David sent me a very wise quote from a very wise woman who left us recently way too soon. It's Maya Angelou. Here's the quote. And Maya Angelou would probably be surprised to find out that her quote landed on a financial show, I, I would expect. She says, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. Aha, David Ferguson, welcome. How are you? Great, great. It's great to be here this morning, and I do believe Ms. Angelou would be a bit surprised uh, that I have <laughs> used her, uh, her quote here this morning. But I believe it, it applies um, to the changing environment that we're working in within revenue recognition or RevRec, as you've said. Um, and in this uh, environment of changing accounting standards, uh, that will impact everything from financial planning and reporting to the structure of sales contracts to the uh, structure of incentive salaries. Uh, you have to take a proactive uh, approach to prepare for those changes and, quite frankly, uh, to turn those changes to your advantage. Um, and to enable those advantages, uh, one needs to look ahead at the impact of the, uh, of the standard on your accounting processes, on your people, and on your systems. And to me, that is um, not being diminished by the situation, but again, as I say, uh, turning that to your advantage and to your business's advantage as we move forward in this environment. Thank you, David. I have a couple questions. Is the new, are the new rules, RevRec as we're calling them, are they daunting? The fact that it's 700 pages about the rules, is that unusual? I, I'm not a finance person, so I don't know. Is that fewer pages than usual? Is that more than usual? Is this an, a, truly an OMG for everybody? Are they shaking in their boots and saying, oh, Rev Rec, what are we going to do now? How bad is it out there? Well, as a former tax accountant um, who is used to reading long, long, very exciting uh, documents, um, <laughs> uh, I'd say this is not unusual. I think with respect to um, 
the, the landscape out there and, and working with clients. Uh, I think the biggest uh, issue has been one of is this going to happen and now when is it going to happen? And now that we have a date certain in place, it's now um, the, the real work begins on how does this impact my organization? How do I move forward from here and how do I prepare uh, for 2017 and beyond? Okay, thank you very much, David. Good setup to our topic, and I'm going to keep in mind that year when we get to the crystal ball predictions round at the end of the show. Let's see what the crystal ball shows. Let me ask you to hang on with me, and let's go to our second panelist. It's John McGaw. John is the America's Revenue Recognition Leader at Ernst & Young. EY, been a while since we've had EY on the show. Welcome, John. And John sent me a quote from Ronald Reagan, who might not be quite as surprised as Maya Angelou to find himself quoted on a finance show. And here's the quote. There is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go if he doesn't mind who gets the credit. Well, isn't that true in life? John McGall, welcome. How are you today? Bonnie, uh, thank you for having me. I'm very well today. and looking forward to today's discussion. We are, too. So tell me, how come Ronald Reagan landed here on our show, and how does this relate to our RevRec topic, John? Well, I'll tell you, Bonnie, the reason that Ronald Reagan landed here was very simple. This quote is actually in the office that I'm sitting in right now. It's the only quote probably that um, I would have ever dreamed of having because, as I said, there's actually a plaque in my office that has it. The reason I have it, I'm a fan of Ronald Reagan, and I think in life in general there's a lot of truth to that we can do a lot. Often we get caught up in and who gets the credit for it, uh, and I must give credit to David because I think he set this up nicely in the context of today's conversation, and that is mm -hmm. there's certainly a compliance requirement that's out there to follow the new revenue recognition standard. But as we'll talk today, a lot of the departments that will be involved um, in supporting the, the change to the new revenue accounting rules have a chance to strengthen, if not transform, the way that they operate in respect to the company's commercial transactions. Um, and whether it's finance-led or oper operations-led or whatnot, doesn't really matter who's driving it. It's really a chance for companies to use a regulatory-driven mandate to get a lot more business value out of the organization. Okay. Thank you very much, John, for adding on to that. And let's welcome back a panelist who was on with me just a couple of weeks ago. It's Pete Graham. He's a director of finance solutions and mobility at SAP. And would you believe, in addition to Maya Angelou and Ronald Reagan, we're rounding out the quote panel, I've never said that before, with Benjamin Franklin. Woohoo! Here's the quote. Watch the pennies and the dollars take care of themselves. Words of wisdom. Pete Graham, welcome back. How are you today? Good, Bonnie. Thanks. Good to be back. Great. Talk to me. Ben Franklin, quote, pennies and dollars. That's really the bottom line of what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, when, you know, the, the average person off the street thinks of accountants and they think of people counting the money, and that's why I thought, um, you know, accountants are very, um, you know, conservative. They're careful. They're going to watch the pennies. And, of course, if you watch all the pennies, then the dollars are going to take care of themselves. And I think that's kind of the way, uh, in some sense, people are approaching this new standard, right? If they get into the details and they understand how the details work, um, kind of the bigger picture will work itself out. And so I think it's a good analogy for that. Thank you very much. And you know what, uh, David or John, any comments on each other's quotes? We'll just go around the table once. David, on what John added or what Pete added? Um, I couldn't agree more with John. It is an overwhelming opportunity for our clients and for 
businesses in general to take a look at their organization and see not just the accounting change, but really that transformative element um, enabled by this accounting standard. And it is a great time uh, to, be, to be able to transform the business. Mm-hmm. John McGaw, anything you want to add? You know, I'll continue with it. You know, on the Pete's point about you talk about revenue yeah. recognition, you talk about accounting standards that may not sound like the sexiest topic out there, uh, but in order to realize that that transformation, it's not just the accountants and it's a lot of the rest of the organization. If I think it, you know, who our likely audience is listening to us, to us today, a lot of these individuals may not get caught up in day-to-day technical accounting, but there really is an opportunity for them to use this business driver for their own benefit. Good. I like the idea of the business driver. That's a, a, a message we try to give on all of these shows. Now, I have a very important question for my three panelists. We'll start with David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting. What's in your cup today, David? I warned you about this one. I know it's not exactly an accounting question, but what are you drinking? What do you want to inspire us to imagine you're drinking? What do you wish you were drinking? David Ferguson, talk to me. Well, again, in, in, um, I'm going to use... Uh, uh, an example of uh, our use of situation that I experienced to, uh, to hopefully uh, bring out the ideas of what we're going to be talking about. But um, at the point in time when my parents-in-law were living in Scotland, um, I had uh, gone um, into the village that they lived in with my father-in-law, um, and um, it was a, a wonderful little uh, pub uh, that, being that it was in uh, Scotland, uh, had an incredible selection of single malts. Uh, there and uh, this American on the first glass made the mistake of asking for a cube of ice, uh, which um, really um, required an apology from my father-in-law, saying, "I apologize. He's an American." Um, and uh, for the second and final glass, I dispensed with the ice um, and made him a little bit prouder uh, that of me. But I think it's also uh, it's going to be interesting as we talk later in the show about the differences uh, between U.S. GAAP, um, the U.S. GAAP standard for RevRec versus the IFRS standard, um, and again, really recognizing those social differences uh, through my glass of Avalor um, while in the small uh, village of Kukubri uh, in southern uh, Scotland. Thank you, David. What a colorful story. <laughs> I appreciate that. The ice cube, it was a single malt scotch, right? Okay. Okay, one ice cube and one malt. There we go. John McGaw, I, won't, I couldn't possibly ask you to top that, but I'm sure you have a wonderful story. What's in your cup or what are you thinking about? So it's interesting, uh, David, the Scottishman, talking about the single malt scotch. I'm going to take a little bit different, a, a, different, uh, a different approach. I've got a blend, and, and whether you're with us here in the U.S., maybe that's a blend of coffee. Maybe in, in Europe you've got a blend of tea, and as we continue to move east, Hopefully you've got my favorite. You've got a blended red wine in your glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, part of it in the, in the drink context and what's in my cup, I think a lot of great flavors in the world, but when you mix them together, you never know exactly what you're going to get. And I think that creates a, a, a more unique experience um, in that drinking experience. Again, I prefer it later in the day to have that blended red wine. Uh, mm-hmm. In the context, again, of today's discussion, we've already – uh, started introducing it's the concept of there's a lot of different parts of your organization that are going to play and you're going to get a much better return if you get that blend of the organization rather than letting one or two parts of the organization dominate the discussion. 
I love that metaphor. We rarely have had drink metaphors for, for the topic. But, John, I have to press you. What is blending in the wine glass? What kinds of what? Is it a, a blend? Are you making your own, or is it something you buy already blended? Tell us a little more. It is definitely – I'm not that good or that creative. It's definitely something <laughs> I blend, something I blend in the, the fuller, heavier-bodied reds, the happier I'm going to be. Okay, thank you very much. We'll leave that one on the table, says the redhead on the phone. Okay, Pete Graham, talk to me. What are you drinking? Well, uh, mine is a lot simpler than uh, David and, and John's. They're the great stories. I'm just having some spring water and just uh, very simple, being able to uh, make sure I can uh, kind of um, just uh, tackle the day with a uh, clear, clear thought. So that's what I'm having today. Okay. Clear skies, clear thoughts. Thank you all. Guess what? You've all earned a break. We're going to go to break right now. I'm getting Brad ready for that. When we come back, I'll be continuing with David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting, John McGaw at Ernst & Young EY, Pete Graham at SAP. Our topic today, new RevRec. That's Revenue Recognition Standard. Now what? We're going to launch our 30-minute roundtable nonstop. Panelists, please put your seatbelts on. This is going to go for quite a while. We're going to explore the topic up and down, inside out, and see if we can help you, our listeners, figure out what you need to do and come out on the other end. As uh, quoting Maya Angelou from courtesy of David Ferguson, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. Amen. We're going to go out now. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here with David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting, John McGaw at EY, and Pete Graham at SAP. Our very important topic today. This could be a game changer for our listeners. New revenue recognition standard. Now what? We're going to start our roundtable discussion with David Ferguson. I'm going to read from some of the notes David sent me before the show, and then we'll go around the table. David says, as one moves forward to adoption of the RevRec standard, both USGAAP and IFRS, and you'll explain that when you speak, David, please. You must prepare for the change in revenue for the fixed and variable elements as well as the probability of collection of the revenue contract. Enlighten me, David. Talk to us. What, are we, what is this all about? You bet. I don't like to say for the U.S. Uh, generally accepted accounting principles uh, for the U.S. GAAP and then for IFRS international financial reporting standards, um, basically, as we as we look ahead at this, and as as we've talked about, um, both John and Pete and I have talked about, it's not purely um, while while the move is is coming from a change in accounting standards, it's going to impact the entire organization, everything from the accounting uh, accounting and finance group, the tax group, uh, the sales um, group, um, the incentives, um, really is going to impact the whole organization. And to get started with that, uh, and with that understanding, one really needs to take a look at um, of, um, and really develop a solid understanding of what are the new requirements and basically five tests. Um, and then also being able to take a look at your current contracts and understand how those current contracts uh, fit within those uh, five tests and, and are you going to have a, a contract in place under the new standards. Um, and then, of course, once you <clears throat> excuse me, have that standard mm-hmm. in place, then one begins to look at the various different um, means by which you're going to recognize revenue, uh, the various different uh, elements as far as transaction price, um, and that's where the fixed and variable comes into play. Uh, and something that's uh, relatively, uh, you know, relatively unique here is the concept of collectability and that ability to collect uh, impact on the on identifying a contract which puts the whole uh, five-step process into play so i think again it, it comes back to that number one organizations need to understand <clears throat> what the changes in the accounting um, rules are uh, both in the u.s and abroad and because there are differences and then number two understand your current contracts against those new standards and three, move forward with uh, a, a plan of action um, to address those uh, to address those contracts on a go forward basis. Thank you, David. You mentioned five tests a couple times. Is that something you could just summarize or, or just check off the names for us, or do you want to talk about that later? Um, I tell you what. Um, at least with respect to um, whether you're identifying a contract or not, um, and we can talk a little bit more broadly about um, the some other standards. Um, as an accounting group would have, there's actually multiple fives, but with respect to identifying the contract, uh, it's really whether or not uh, the parties to the contract uh, have approved and committed to a, pro- uh, a contract and committed to performance. Um, can um, each party identify the rights of goods uh, regarding the goods or services? Can they identify the payment terms for those services? Um, that the contract has commercial substance. Uh, and then, like I say, the fifth test is around the ability for the um, contract to be collected upon. I will the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, will the receiving party be able to 
um, uh, to be able to make the payments under the contract and meet that financial obligation. Okay, thank you very much. John McGaw, I know you have a lot to say about what David just introduced. Talk to me. Yeah, so I think a couple of great things. I mean, one one of the things to, to reinforce out of the beginning is, right, the standards have been issued by both uh, those governing our rules here in the U.S. and abroad. So this is, is here and, and it's now. Um, David talked about some of the nuanced differences. I mean, on, on the one hand, we've, we've had a history of uh, rules and regulations over uh, accounting for revenue, and generally speaking, uh, that general guidance isn't changing in, in terms of trying to mirror the economics of the arrangement with when it's reflected in the financial statements. But there are a lot of nuanced differences that can happen within these five steps. Uh, and I think, you know, as David mentioned, he's talking about identifying the contract with the customer. A lot of us think about, you know, that's the physical document, right? I signed a new business deal. Well, a lot of times business practices, and as we have a global audience, sometimes business practices are different in one part of the world than they are in another, and it's those business practices that can give rise to a contract in the, in the accounting parlance, if you will, and can give rise to certain performance obligations that have to be accounted for. So I think you know, what's unique and interesting about this is, is that we've always had rules around accounting for revenue, but those rules have changed, and the way that you analyze them have changed, and it really requires getting into the details of it and understanding not what's just in the literature, but how people are going to apply the literature to those specific business arrangements they have in their organizations. It's not an easy task. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, John. Pete Graham, I know you want to join this conversation. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, both David and John have great insights. And the, the thing I'll pick up on what John mentioned about the nuances, I think that's right. I think a lot of these, you know, these regulations are, are more principles-based than the old, older regulations. And for a lot of U.S. accountants, um, these are new. These aren't as specific, so there's a little bit more leeway or maybe there's a little bit more latitude. And, and I think that is, you know, takes a little bit of time for some of the accountants to get used to. So I think there will, will be some time to take to, to go through for the accountants to get accustomed to this. And as John mentioned, David, it's, it's complex. There's a lot of things to consider. Um, and so I think, you know, the sooner companies start looking at this, the better, so they can really start um, getting um, accustomed to it and feeling comfortable with the decisions they're making. And, I'm not, and I know John and David work with clients on this specifically, and maybe they want to comment on um, you know, some of the experiences they've had. Yeah, we'd love to. And I was going to ask the panel, is there a deadline for compliance? Are we talking about the rules affecting companies, we said, across organizations, across industries around the world? Is there a size of company that's, excuse the word, exempt from this? Does anybody get to be grandfathered in or out? Or is this, hey, everyone, listen up. It's coming. It's here. Do it now. And when is the now? Who wants to talk to me about that? A little, little bit of rules. David, John? Yeah, this, this is John. I'd be happy to, to tackle that one, and, and I'm going to mm-hmm. try to do it at a high level because there are, there are some sure. specifics. But but let's start fu- fundamentally. Uh, this this is companies here in the U.S. that follow U.S. GAAP. It's also companies all over the world that follow IFRS, whether they are publicly listed or not. So this is not mm-hmm. just a public company requirement. Okay. Um, generally speaking, it will start with companies' um, 2017 financial statements. Um, for calendar year in companies, that would then be effective January the 1st of 2017. 
if you have a year end that's later or different than December 31st, you get a little bit more time. So, again, it first starts with that January the 1st, 2017, U.S. or IFRS, public or private. Uh, there are a couple of different rules which may, we may discuss later in the conversation today that mm-hmm. changes exactly how you adopt it. But generally speaking, to 2017 effective date, but for some of the rules that we'll talk about, the impacts to your organization occur, occur far earlier in the timeline. Okay. David, do you want to add something to that? No, I think that's the spot on with respect to uh, when and to whom it's going to apply. I think the uh, the big issue, again, comes back to this whole idea that while we've always had, um, while the U.S. has had uh, rules with respect to this revenue recognition, uh, it is the nuances of the new rules. And I think one of the most interesting analogies I've seen uh, about the U.S. GAAP rules historically compared to the IFRS rules is really a comparison of the U.S. NFL football rules where it's all very specific, very rules-driven um, compared to um, the UEFA uh, Football Association, uh, a.k.a. soccer, in the, uh, in the European uh, environment where it's more of a guidance, uh, not a specific event-driven uh, rules. So I think it is going to be something to get used to uh, here in the U.S. Uh, for those mm-hmm. who are coming on to the new rules. Thank you very much. I want to go in a slightly different direction. I'm looking at some notes from John McGaw at EY. Uh, John, let me read some statements you sent me, and let's go in this direction, see, see if the rest of the panel likes this. You say, while technical accounting may be at the heart of the matter, and our topic is RevRec, finally, you add, transition to a new revenue standard is likely to impact the extended organizations. Then you go on, outside of accountings, systems, process, and tax often get the headlines, but other departments should be asked asking for a seat at the table. Can you expand that for us, and and let's talk about what you mean. John McGaugh? Yeah, Bonnie, I'll be happy to. So at the heart of the matter, we do have a new regulatory requirement that governs the rules around which companies present results of their commercial arrangements and their financial statements. Um, But as you start to extend extend from that point of view, um, first and foremost, it's not just a reflection of, of revenue and the impacts that it has in the income statement, but there's also expanded qualitative and quantitative disclosures that will happen in the footnotes. And a lot of times companies struggle a lot more with pulling together footnote information that may reside outside of their general ledger. It's really Mm -hmm. one of those areas that we talked about optimizing or transforming a business process. Certainly the way companies meet some of the disclosure requirements will take um, insights from the organization beyond just the GL path. Um, When we start talking about revenue, then obviously tax comes into play. Uh, and we're really finding that tax directors and vice presidents of tax are becoming keenly interested on a couple of fronts. One of those fronts is that there is an accounting for income taxes, and this may create some additional differences that tax directors have to, tra- have to track between when revenue gets recognized in the financial statements versus when the taxing authorities uh, want their due paid, because those two will not always be perfectly aligned. Mm-hmm. At the same time, some companies believe this may actually give them a change to take a look at some of their tax planning strategies and methods that may extend also into transfer pricing and other non-revenue-related tax considerations, um, such that a tax director needs to have a keen understanding of the changes because it could impact not only the timing of items hitting the financial statements, but could impact the timing of cash tax- taxes paid. Um, if you can, so, so that's why systems and process supporting the financial statements 
and tax directors get a lot of attention. But at the same time, since we're talking about revenue, if you think about it, that's the customer-facing part of the organization. It's the way that legal contracts with organizations, it's the way the sales force receives their remuneration and their incentive compensation, financial planning and analysis. If you, if, for example, if you listen to an analyst call, they're really not always looking at what was reflected in the most recent quarter or the most recent annual report. They're looking for guidance on the future. So, you know, people, the health of an organization and where that revenue growth may be coming from, these individuals are also interested because, admittedly, we as accountants aren't creating revenue here, but there could be a change in the timing of when that revenue is recognized. Uh, so just a couple of examples. David and Pete may have some more of why mm-hmm. it extends beyond the accounting department. Okay, good. Pete Graham, thoughts? Why does it? I agree with John. I mean, there are so many um, impacts, and, and John did a great job of outlining them. I'll just highlight one you might not think of, um, and we just had this discussion earlier with the team around logistics, right? So it turns out with the new revenue recognition rules, there's a lot of, of, of impact now in the sense of when you can recognize revenue, you need to understand these different types of events and actually put some new constraints or, or stresses on your logistics system. So as John's premise, you, you might think this is just about accounting. It's actually not. I mean, um, all of the, the people that, that count on revenue, right, as the salespeople are, are measured on it and uh, Wall Street can measure companies or value companies on it. Um, certainly the, the finance department is, is counting on the revenue to come in to, to drive their budgets. So there's a whole host of things that this is uh, initially going to impact until people get comfortable with what they're going to see under the new regulation. Thank you. David, thoughts? David Ferguson? Um, Alexi, uh, coming back to John's first point around the taxes, I think it's mm-hmm. important um, to look at look at uh, the taxes from basically from two different perspectives. Um, one is around that, uh, that John mentioned around direct taxes, so basically income-based taxes, um, where you've got to look at what is the uh, current U.S. GAAP standard, what is the go-forward U.S. GAAP standard, and then what is the uh, U.S. Uh, federal and, for that matter, state income tax methods for recognizing revenue what are the differences uh, between those? And if you're in a multinational organization, it becomes even more challenging because now, for example, you need to look at what is uh, Mexican gap uh, and Mexican tap, uh, tax implications as well as when Mexico adopts IFRS standards, which are slightly different than the U.S. gap, new U.S. gap standards. So I think it really becomes a very interesting discussion uh, about that. Um, and how you're going to manage the the calculation of tax, how you're going to manage the provisions of those taxes. And then I think even beyond that, for indirect or transaction-based taxes, um, looking at uh, the process and the technology uh, for being able to execute those transactions uh, to be able to recognize a sale under the uh, transaction tax rules, to be able to collect the appropriate amount of uh, tax and be able to remit that. So, like I say, uh, uh, overall, I think it, it really is an interesting proposition for the accounting group, for the tax accounting group, and for the IT department to pull all of that data together um, and have it, quite frankly, as, 
I'd say, as the next tax auditor in an auditable state um, so that you can defend uh, any position that you take. Thank you, David. Anybody else have a comment on this before I go in a somewhat different direction? You know, Bonnie, one way maybe to illustrate to the audience that this was explained to me, and I think it's a great illustration, and that is okay. think, think of a, a, a production facility or factory, and the raw material going in is the, um, the contract, right? You've entered into an arrangement, a contract, a sale with a customer, if you will, and think about all the different products that can come out of the factory. You've got... Uh, your financial reporting, disclosures, direct and indirect taxes, financial planning and analysis, uh, product management, customer management, all the different uses um, of those different con- of those contracts with customers. Isn't it wonderful if you had the opportunity to have one factory that's got a foundation of quality information that's timely and it's mm-hmm. efficient versus each of those consumers of that information of that contract trying to create their own systems and processes or their own little factory inside of the organization to provide them with the information they needed out of that contract. And that's just one way of looking at that the transformation that we talked about earlier. Again, we've got arrangements. We've always had them in organizations. We've always had users of that information. Does the change in the standard create the opportunity for an organization to streamline how it gets that different information or those products to the different users in the organization. Thank you very much. Anybody else want to comment? Okay, no, I'm gonna. I'm looking at Pete Graham's notes here. We're trying to go around the table and, and be fair to everybody. And Pete, you said something that's a little different. We we mentioned just a minute ago about international global companies. Let's focus back on the U.S. for a minute. I'm going to read some of your notes and then let's see what you and the other panelists think. You say since the new revenue accounting standard is principle based. And U.S. accountants are accustomed accustomed to U.S. GAAP, which is more detailed and specific. You say there will be some growing pains in the U.S. accounting profession in adopting the new standards. And then you add, this is what intrigued me the most, Pete Graham. You said, I think U.S. investors also wonder if the SEC will add some rigidity to the new revenue accounting standards in the future if loopholes are discovered. So, Pete, what's the likelihood or a lack of likelihood that there will be loopholes discovered, and how hard hit will the U.S. accounting profession be? And is the SEC already sharpening its focus, putting the binoculars on and saying, hmm, what do you think, Pete? Yeah, well, I know the SEC is looking at this. I mean, we were at a a conference in in June, and and they were there, so they're definitely watching it. I I think the challenge is going to be – as and, and I know David and John will, will comment because these guys are right in the trenches on this, but essentially think of a, an accountant, right? You're, you're trained you know, from school all the way up through your profession, you're working, and all of a sudden kind of the rules change a little bit or maybe more than a little bit, and now you've got to kind of adopt those rules on the fly. You've got a lot of customers asking you questions, uh, and there's a lot more gray area than there was. And so I think you'll have some companies making decisions, and they'll think it's fine in the gray area, but maybe down the road a little bit, somebody may decide, maybe the SEC, that maybe that was not the right choice, and they may pull them back a little bit. And I think that's also when I talk to my European colleagues, they mentioned that as maybe an issue that happened previously in some of the accounting standards in the U.S., that it got so specific that it became unmanageable. And so their hope is that the principles kind of stay true and that customers and, and industries are able to kind of adopt these rules in the right way and maybe change the interpretation a little bit as we, we 
we go through its experience so that um, the rules framework, the new regulations kind of stand the test of time. Uh, and I think certainly that first year when we start seeing new um, financial statements, investors may you know, may ask a lot of questions. Hey, your revenue went up a little bit or your revenue went down a little bit and only because of the, the standard. Did the value of that company really change, right? The economic value. I think John had mentioned that concept before, right? The accounting, you know, is trying to mirror the same economics, but, uh, you know, if your revenue slightly changes over time, it could slightly change your corporate value, hence stock prices, right? And that's where investors are going to get uh, involved and interested in. Um, so I'm curious to see what, what David and John think about this, because these are guys yeah. are right in the middle of this. Let's talk to the guys in the trenches. David Ferguson, what are you seeing at your, from your perch at Deloitte Consulting? Do you agree with Pete? I do. I think it's, it is going to be a very interesting prospect um, as we move forward with this. And, and to be able to have, um, number one, um, confidence in the investor community that these statements are are being, um, you know, number one, for the investor community to understand what the changes are. Um, number two, to have faith uh, that there is a, uh, a uniform commitment, if you will, a uniform application of those rules across uh, in an industry. Um, and I think it's, it's going to be important that, um, uh, that there is an open dialogue as we move forward within the accounting and the investor community uh, to be able to talk about um, the the appropriate way to approach these rules, um, and you know, to your you know, to one of the initial points, I have no doubt that there will be um, calls for the SEC and or others uh, to take a look at how some um, some and, and probably not those that are listed, uh, but how certain companies might um, um, interpret the rules, if you will. Um, as to how they're going to account for their revenue. Again, making sure that I think the biggest issue becomes one of investor um, confidence in the numbers mm -hmm. and confidence in that things are consistently reported. Um, and to John's point earlier, I think this is a place where um, the footnotes, uh, the comments uh, within the financial statements become more and more important to be able to explain especially during the transition period, to be able to explain how the company is moving uh, from the current standards into the new standards uh, and how, those, uh, how that change is impacting their financials. Thank you very much. John McGaugh, any thoughts on this to wrap it up? Yeah, I would wrap it up. You know, it's kind of ironic at the beginning. You, you uh, had an interesting question on, you know, how many people have read the 700 pages. Mm -hmm. What's funny is there's actually less guidance out there to U.S. GAAP preparers uh, at least in terms of volume under the new standard than we may currently have. Also, a lot of industry-specific example, for example, in the software industry, uh, that uh, industry-specific guidance has gone away. So what's interesting is that a lot of companies are trying to move on this and understand the impact of their organization to the peer companies that they're compared against. There's still a lot of interpretation that's going on, and there's actually a formal group which is known as the um, Transition Resource Group that was put in place by the standard setting bodies to help work through some of these transition questions. So what I would leave for our audience is why it's important to get your arms around this early and start identifying. A lot of people are looking for the answers to questions. At this point in time, it's really a good idea to understand what questions are being raised mm -hmm. so that you can then work towards the answers because there's going to be a lot of evolution because people want to get to the right answer, and it's a complex area, and it's going to take time. 
John, I want to read, <coughs> excuse me, I'm all choked up because I, you have a very touchy-feely statement here in your notes, and I was reading it, and I was getting all, all upset here. It says, Mom and Dad always said, you can't always have what you want. I guess some moms and dads did. And then, then you add, John McGaw, who knew they were thinking about revenue recognition transition where companies are given an option on how to adopt the standard? There must have been some pretty smart mom and dad, some pretty omniscient people there. So talk to me. What's this about You can't about uh, companies are given the option? Is this something they know about? The companies, so, not mom and so, dad. <laughs> yeah, when you adopt the standard, and we talked about it being effective in 2017, there's two mm-hmm. ways that you can adopt them, and in very layman's terms, there's a full retrospective method that would say when you publish your 2017 10K as a public company, you would actually go back and recast uh, 2016 and 2015 financial statements to show them what they would have looked like had you always been following the new standard. So it creates greater comparability when somebody's looking at 15 and 16 and 17 side by side. There's another method um, modified retrospective, which allows you to, you do not have to change 15 and 16. Uh, You present 2017 under the new rules, and then you have a footnote disclosure that says, this is what 2017 would have looked like had Mm -hmm. the company continued to follow the old rules. Well, you can appreciate users of financial statements really like as much rich information as they could have, and they more than likely are going to be pushing companies to do the full retrospective method and to go back and recast 2015 and 2016. So that's why sitting here with three months to go, or just over three months until we enter into 2015, mm-hmm. while that 2017 seems so much earlier than one might otherwise think, and that's because there's a lot of work that has to be done to put an organization in place to be able to recast those 15 and 16 numbers. So while a company may want to do full retrospective because their peer group is doing it, users of their financial statements are doing it, they may find that their systems, processes, and internal resources, if they don't get a quick jump on this, may not be able to give them what they want. And they may be forced to do the modified retrospective, which has less comparative information for users of the financial statements. Thank you, John. You mentioned putting an organization in place to do this, and it's a lot of work doing this retrospective exercise, or that trivializes it, but the retrospective work, shall we say. Does this mean there'll be a lot of job openings in the accounting field to support larger organizations that need to have more eyes on the work and more hands moving things around and and getting those those retrospectives out? Is there optimism there? as far as workforce additions, John? Well, well, certainly there is a level of effort that's required. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think in certain situations, well-designed systems and process can step in and and, and field those roles. I do think that as you talk about the impact on the workforce, and both David and Pete have talked about it, the new standard has less specific application guidance, which is going to require more judgments and more estimates inside an organization. So whether you're increasing the workforce in total numbers or not, the skill and the way that the workforce may look at revenue transactions may require or is likely to require additional training. Thank you. Pete Graham, I want to sum up this part of the roundtable with some notes you sent me. I can read them, but I'd rather you do. Your, your statement started with revenue recognition has to be correct, and you've got a bunch of bullets under it. Do you have it handy and you want to read it, or would you rather I do? I have it. Um, yep. So, Absolutely. It has to be correct. Everyone is watching it. Uh, sales forecast it, and they're watching it like a hawk, and you know, they're, they're paid commissions on it, so they definitely are watching it. 
finance has to account for it. They have to sign off for it, right? And uh, they're going to base their budgets on it. Uh, marketing spends money to drain, generate more of it, right? So they're always trying to generate more of that revenue. Of course, Wall Street values companies on it. So when you introduce a new revenue recognition standard, every key corporate stakeholder is impacted, and they're going to pay attention. Okay. I want to know, David Ferguson, you agree with all of these statements Pete Graham offered to us? I do. I do. I think it's uh, it's going to be very important, um, you know, and it's going to be a very challenging time. I'd say you can go back to John's last comment. While everyone is looking ahead at 2017, they really need to begin looking at 2015. And um, I think that as you do that, it, it forces you to look at your organization. I appreciate John's point uh, with respect to uh, the folks, um, you know, uh, the level of information that the folks who are executing the contracts and, and in the sales force are going to need to know. I think it also puts a big uh, challenge in front of the technology group uh, to ensure that their systems are prepared, um, that within 2015 those systems can cope with the current accounting standards as well as the new accounting standards. Um, and if you're in a multinational, potential of two to three uh, different accounting standards all running simultaneously. Uh, and being able to differentiate, I think it's uh, it's an amazing time and and a really exciting time. Um, mm -hmm. It's a great time to be an accountant, uh, and it's a great time to be in in the world of technology, uh, um, supporting accounting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say it's a great time to be an accountant. I like I, that, David. I tell John, you, it's, it's a rare event. I'm sure it is. We got we got to make sure this show reaches all the corners of the earth. And that statement alone, John McGall, you want to wrap up on this topic before I go to break? Any thoughts about Pete's list of why it's so important and has to be correct? Well, it does. I mean, n n nothing can bring down the value of an organization, you know, any fa uh, any faster than, than than concerns about the quality of the results that they've got on the street. Again, more judgments, more estimates can put more stress in the financial reporting environment. Um, and so, so with that, I think it, it brings the importance of getting your arms around this early enough so that you understand the pain points in your organization so that you can adequately respond to them. You can understand how your peer group looks at it, how your auditor is going to look at it, so you can help minimize the risk that you would be in that situation. Thank you very much. You've earned a break, the three of you working very hard. Great points on this topic. We're going to be right back after the break, and I'm going to ask my three panelists, David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting, John McGaughty, why Pete Graham at SAP, to go out and find that magical crystal ball. We already know what's happening in 2014, 15, 16, and hopefully 17 in terms of the new RevRec standards. I'm going to ask the three of you to focus all the way to 2020. And if you can, if it's blue skies, I want to know. If it's not so blue, I want to know. And what do you see will be the aftermath of this adoption of the new RevRec standards by that year? So go out, find the crystal ball, and think about it. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You're listening to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Brad out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network.
The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are, and that's what we're helping you aspire to, financial excellence. It's time now for our crystal ball predictions round. We're going to kick it off with David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting. David, were you able to find the crystal ball during the break? I'm wondering, and can you take us all the way through 2020 or later? What do you see, David? I think, uh, well, we will uh, see if my crystal ball uh, is is, is uh, um, as, as clear as I, I hope it to be. But I think, okay. um, th- no, I, I think the first thing is to look at um, first, given the next few months uh, and getting into 2015, making sure that, that our, our listeners are looking ahead at the accounting standards, making sure that they understand what those standards are going to mean to their business overall, not just accounting, not just tax, not just um, the sales group, not just HR, but across the entire organization as well as what it's going to mean to their customers. Uh, and that's something that cannot be forgotten is what is it going to mean to their customers. I think as we look out uh, beyond 2017 and we look beyond to 2020, um, I, I believe that we will, you know, by that point in time, um, many of the questions that we've raised on the discussion today around uh, is there going to be confidence, is there going to be uh, an assurance of, of the information that's out there, uh, is there going to be stability uh, in the application of the rules, um, is there going to be a, a common uh, presentation across each of the industries? And I believe by 2020, we will have made significant progress towards that. I think that we'll still be finding some challenges along the way as, as you know, where you may have addressed um, uh, the majority of the transactions um, by the beginning of the rules uh, as we move forward into those 2019-2020 uh, timeline. You'll begin to address the, if you look at the 80-20 rule, we will have addressed all of the 80% and we'll be into the 20%, the things that are more challenging, that are less frequent, um, that may be industry specific. Uh, and those are the topics that we would continue to see um, need to uh, need revisions for and, and need to apply those broader standards to. I think you will have also sorted out uh, the issues with respect to technology uh, and those will be well laid out and well integrated. 
Um, and then within the within the people side of the house, um, people have been um, will have adjusted to the changes, um, whether it's from a process perspective, from a contract perspective, from a selling perspective, um, and not least of all from a, a, a salary a bonus perspective that those issues would have been worked through uh, by that timeline. Thank you, David Ferguson. Great. And let's turn to John McGaw at EY. John, crystal ball, is it clear? Can you see to 2020? You know, I think it's partly sunny. I'm going to go with partly sunny over okay. partly cloudy. Um, <laughs> and one of the things that will happen, and we haven't talked a lot about this call, but the impact will have varied. The impact to your child's lemonade stand who has one location and sells drinks mm -hmm. for cash is going to be far less than the multinational organization that enters into long-term contracts that have multiple performance obligations in them. So we are going to find that the impact will have varied, and that's why it's so important for companies to get an early jump on this to see whether they're the lemonade stand or whether the complex multinational. For those where it did matter, some will have taken advantage, and they will have managed the conversion. They will manage the message inside and outside of their organization to those who use financial statements about what the changes were, what it means to their business, what it doesn't mean to their business. Um, there will be a subset of that group that, that strengthened and optimized the process and controls around their um, the revenue recognition product, and then there will be even a smaller subset that actually drove business value. And, and to my earlier analogy, they built the one or two factories in their organization that took the same piece of commercial information and they provided required products to different parts of the organization, be it compliance and financial reporting or tax or business value in other areas such as financial planning, analysis, and customer management. And then the partly, the partly uh, part of the sunny story is that there will be companies that didn't really manage the story, and they will have put manual process in place to help them work through the transition, and they will still be dealing with that manual process, which in many situations may be um, less efficient, less uh, well-controlled as compared to some of the other alternatives they may have had. I think we'll see a bit of that, but I'm going with partly sunny, uh, so there's going to be more on the positive side. Thank you very much. I saved 90 seconds for Pete Graham. You know the drill. Let's hear your predictions. Pete, go. Sure. I think initially it will be partly sunny, so I agree with John. I think um, as we get a little past 2020, I think hopefully we'll move to mostly sunny. Uh, but I do think that, there, you know, John is correct. That we'll have some places where things go smoothly and some places where they do not go so smoothly. But I hope that the CFOs get comfortable with the numbers. I think that's the most important thing um, because from there they'll keep, right, the, the internal teams will be comfortable. That's who talks to Wall Street um, and also who talks to investors. And I hope that investors independently also get comfortable with the numbers. And I think with the amount of attention everybody's putting on this, I think by 2020 um, that will be achieved. So I think at least from that perspective will be, um, you know, I hope will be mostly sunny um, in terms of uh, investors and CFOs being comfortable with those numbers by 2020. Thank you very much, and you left me just enough time to give my predictions. They're written down so they're easy. Guess what? Tomorrow's Wednesday. You all know what that means. Coffee break with Game Changers tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. And then later in the afternoon, I'll be moderating another discussion on the customer edge with Game Changers 
3 p.m. Eastern. We have the bookends on Wednesday. Thursday, we're going to talk about a new edition of Future of Business with Game Changers now in Season 2, Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern. And I have to tell you, the following Thursday, we'll have another episode of Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. And the following Wednesday, we'll be back to the debut of the Internet of Things with Game Changers, exciting topics. And then next Monday, we're back with HR Trends with Game Changers Season 3. And next Tuesday, we'll be right here at noon Eastern with another edition of Financial Excellence with Game Changers. It's dizzying. Yes, we have seven shows on the air right now. We're trying to tell the world it's time to be a game changer. You agree, David and John and Pete? It's time for the accountants to get on the train and start game changing with the new RevRec standards. Are we all in agreement with that one? Yes? Absolutely. Good. Well, thank you, David Ferguson at Deloitte Consulting. Pleasure to get to know you, John McGaw, same at EY. Pete Graham, welcome back. Wonderful to have you on air again. Hope you'll come back. And a shout-out to Elizabeth Milne, who's been tweeting for us. Elizabeth, you assembled an awesome panel for this topic, and we had a great conversation. Thanks also to her team members, her teammates, Chris Grundy, Aaron Hughes, and Birgit Starmans, who sponsored this, and Brad and the Business Channel team at Voice America World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? RevRec is here. Go out and be a game changer today. See you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.